0: Let's do this. What is virtualization? You gonna learn today. Innovate like a startup. Deliver like an enterprise. I hope you're coffeeed up and ready because it's gonna be a great day. I know you're gonna dig this. Oh, oh, oh yeah. You are listening to the Virtually Speaking podcast with Pedro Aero and John Nicholson.
1: Welcome to the Virtually Speaking Podcast. My name is Pete Fletcher, and joining me as usual is my good friend, Mr. John Nicholson. John, how you doing, man?
0: I'm, I'm staring at hard drive prices. I'm, I'm looking at component costs. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to request for some new lab hardware. And um, Have the prices just new... ro- skyrocketed like everything else? You know, this is actually one of the beauties of storage is, you know, well, yes, I guess sometimes adding a tray does feel like it suddenly... You know has weird inflationary pricing commodity storage discs generally go down in price believe it or not Uh uh-huh Moore's law still kind of exists in a way you know we get more cores and you know the offload engines make it pretty fast and uh yeah i I like to think i'm getting more bang for my buck the the supply grain uh you know crunch isn't completely over but you know, lead times are returning. I feel like nature's healing. John can actually buy affordable NAND <laughs> for his cluster.
1: I like it. Well, I'm very happy to hear that. Um, I'm really, really excited. A good friend of ours, Pete Keeler, is joining us this week to give us the uh, all the updates uh, on vSAN. I know there's been a lot of changes over the years. Heck, cause a, a couple of months ago, we had Pete on talking about um, express storage architecture compared to the original storage architecture. So we're definitely excited about getting, in, getting an update. So, Pete, welcome back to the podcast.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I am never going to turn down an invitation. And so here we are, right? All right. We'll see you next week as well,
1: then. Just kidding. Uh, now, Pete, uh, you recently wrote a blog uh, just sharing a couple of the updates just in, in general. Uh, I know this isn't a full-on dot release for vSAN, which I'm sure will be coming soon. But I know there have been some updates and, uh, and you recently wrote a great blog post about it. I'd love to cover some of that. Uh, so w- what's the high level? What's, what's new in, in the area of Express Storage Architecture?
2: Sure thing. Well, I think the the thing we want to, to really share with everybody here is that we've expanded some of our hardware compatibility uh, for the Express Storage Architecture. Uh, previously, since we introduced the Express Storage Architecture in vSAN 8, because of the extreme potential capabilities in storage performance that it could provide, we wanted to make sure that uh, customers had you know, minimums there that would really exploit the full capabilities of that hardware. Well, with some very uh, careful work with many of our partners, uh, we've been doing some work on, on the backside of all of these pre-configured systems, that being vSAN ReadyNodes, uh, and we are introducing a brand new ReadyNode uh, profile known as an AF0. And this is really, uh, the best way to think of it is an entry-level uh, Ready Node profile for vSAN Express storage architecture. And the the thing that we really wanna highlight about this is that the hardware requirements are significantly less than the other ready node profiles that we've had in the past for express storage architecture. So for example, the new AF0 uh, profile only requires 16 cores for that uh, physical server. Uh, And it only requires 128 gig of RAM. And it can run most importantly on uh, 10 gig networking, uh, and that's something that really has been a big request from many of our customers. Uh, and we we think that this is going to be a great fit for the you know the customer who's wanting to make that transition to the Express Storage architecture and address those cases of smaller data center needs, uh, edge use cases, um, workload requirements that are not necessarily extremely write intensive.
1: Okay. Uh, Well, and for those uh, that have not uh, listened to the episode where we talked about some of the differences between the original storage architecture and the express storage architecture, I'll drop a link uh, below on the video here. But for those listening, Pete, give us the, uh, the high level. What are some of the key differences between the original storage architecture and the express storage architecture?
2: Yeah, so the, the express storage architecture is sort of a new way in which we process and store the data. Uh, and we've made some adjustments through our storage stack uh, that make it very different in terms of, of how we manage that data. Now, from the, you know, from the surface level, from, from managing the, a storage system via vCenter server, uh, it looks and feels mostly the same. But the under-the-hood changes were fairly significant. Uh, We use an all-new log-structured file system that allows us to ingest this data really quickly while uh, preparing the data uh, to be written in a really space-efficient way. And it's the combination of those two things that really allowed us to take advantage of this newer, this next generation hardware, specifically uh, the NVMe storage devices that we see out there, that are so prevalent, uh, that are just waiting to be utilized uh, to their full potential, and that's essentially the effect that many of our customers will see is much better efficiency. Therefore, being able to do more with less hardware, they can run more VMs on a you know on a given vSAN host or a vSAN cluster using the esa as they would for the original storage architecture
0: well, and that's something that's really fun that you know being able to run the same number of iops at a third of the cpu or half the cpu but i feel like there was some confusion because when esa the 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 smallest ready you know currently the, the af2 profile that's existed for a while dropped it was a 32 core minimum and so i i think there was this misconception that you it needed more cpu it was hungry for more cpu just to do the same workload um would you kind of put some clarity I guess into what's different there between that 16 and 32?
2: Yeah, so the reason why we had set the you know the minimums the way that they were, especially on that uh, previous entry level ready node profile, that being the AF2, uh, where we had you know minimums for CPU being 32 cores, you had networking that was uh, 25 gig minimum uh, for those cases and then you had memory that was uh, much more as well. The reason why those levels and those minimums were the way that they were wasn't because that ESA inherently uh, took more resources. In fact, it actually uh, took less, but because of this brand new storage stack that we were able to exploit those capabilities so significantly that we wanted to make sure that things like network were not the bottleneck so that you know when you're running a fully distributed storage system you need to write the data in more than one location so that makes it you know somewhat implied that we better make sure that that network is fairly fast well what we've realized is in many of these cases because we're so efficient in uh, transmitting this data you know across various hosts within a vsent cluster and we look at uh, common workloads that many of our customers are running what they are able to do actually is to Um, have those full capabilities there of ESA, they can uh, take advantage of some of the features like uh, brand new snapshotting and so forth, but uh, they aren't necessarily running those workloads at full uh, potential, meaning that the 10 gig, you know, uplink will be uh, perfectly fine for their use cases. And so th- that's something that we really wanted to make sure that in this case, we wanted to make sure that ESA was going to be applicable for everyone under all situations. I see. So um, what exactly are people able to change
1: with ReadyNodes?
2: Yeah, so this was another sort of misconception uh, in our in, in our uh, debut of the ReadyNode profiles, specifically for the ESA. You know, and before I answer your question, let's just kind of backpedal a little bit and look at how we had a ready node arrangement for the original storage architecture. Okay. The the ready nodes in and of themselves were sort of pre-configured systems that had a balance of resources that we thought would uh, deliver a given amount of uh, performance and uh, storage capacities and so forth. But there was a lot of latitude between those uh, ready ReadyNode uh, profiles. Uh, and we also offered, you know, this other method known as a build your own, essentially just making sure that all of the uh, discrete physical components, if they're on the VCG for vSAN, that that would certainly be, you know, a viable option for many of our customers. Well, many of our customers actually wanted something a little simpler. So with the express storage architecture, what we did was uh, we built out these ReadyNode uh, profiles that really focused on certain capacity uh, capabilities and certain uh, performance capabilities. But they were they, they were configured in such a way that uh, they had a nice balance of resources, meaning that you didn't have a massive amount of CPU resources, but very little networking or vice versa. So there was a nice balance of resources there. But we've also heard from many of our customers that they wanted to be able to you know, make some changes uh, to those Ready Node uh, profiles. Maybe they li- need a little bit more storage capacity, or yeah. maybe they want uh, to add a little bit more RAM. Well, the ReadyNode program for the Express Storage architecture provides a lot of options there for them. So even though we don't necessarily have a true build your own arrangement for the Express Storage architecture, what it effectively offers now For many of our customers is that same experience because they're going to be able to make those changes right within the configuration options for the respective ready node that they're looking at okay and if you change if you make changes though is it still a ready node or yes indeed it is so uh one way to think of it is for example if you have a a ready node that is an uh, af2 for example and you want to increase some of the storage capacity of that you can Uh, specify more storage devices, it's still going uh, to be an AF2. The best way to think about our uh, profiling, whether it's an AF2, AF4, AF6, and so forth, is um, you'll want to start out at the level that is recommended uh, by the vSAN sizer, which is going to do all the hard work for you. It's going to do the calculations off of uh, capacity, performance, all that good stuff. But then if you want something a little bit more, then you can build off of that and say, you know what, I would like a little bit more storage capacity or I'd like a little bit more memory in these hosts, whatever the case may be.
0: Well, and one thing that's interesting is looking at what are the drivers for why people want this AF0 profile? What are some of the consumption things? So like for instance, cores is pretty easy to look at. Like I've, I've licensed Microsoft SQL and Oracle before. Um, I know that if I can cut 16 cores off a bomb, you know for a small cluster that's focused on databases that's that's pretty awesome you yeah. know in fact everything is licensed per core vmware's licensed per core you know but like applications are um, networking all kinds of tooling are and so doing that but also um the the networking is interesting too because the the 10 gig request i didn't quite expect as much but it, it sounds like some of you have some some people who are a bit packet retentive and are just clinging to some pretty old 10 gear gig switching yeah um and so people are saying, look, we're going to upgrade maybe in 18 months or two years, but my my budget cycles aren't aligning. I can't replace my switching and my servers in the same year. And so that's one request. One thing I have seen in Pete is could you potentially maybe use an AF0 profile, but, you, you use, but put 25 or 100 gig NICs on there and then run them at 10 gig for now, because obviously a 25 gig NIC is going to be backwards compatible. Would
2: that would that still be an AF0 i guess would that still work and be supported yes indeed and that's that's a great point john because we we want to make sure that these these offers that we have as far as adjustability is actually a benefit and not a hindrance so in those particular cases and you you know let's say you're going to be looking at a new refresh for a smaller cluster for example that might even be a management uh, cluster whatever the case may be here and maybe your existing workload environment for that uh, cluster is very modest and so maybe something like an af0 or af2 might be a good fit if it's an af0 uh, but yet you know you're eventually going to be uh, going to a full uh, 25 gig arrangement there it would really serve you best uh, to say you know what let me just make sure that the uplinks in this af0 uh, profile are using at uh, 25 gig links uh, now that offers a lot of flexibility for just trying to adapt this newer technology into the rest of your environment that doesn't always update at the same frequency, you know, or the timing that that everybody would love. Which is, let's update everything right now. That sounds great, but that doesn't always exactly happen that way.
0: No, and I've I've got a blog that actually just got published uh, to core.vmware.com/blogs talking about what you can change in an esa ready node and i tried to capture uh we could talk here for quite a while about like what are some of the gotchas or what are some of the kind of concerns maybe you know be careful about expecting you know adding a bunch of storage devices and expecting a bunch of performance and adding no cores um or inversely like using um 10 gig networking and then trying to put 300 terabytes in a host probably going to be a little problematic on resyncs and things like that but for the most part you know adding more is is not going to break support or or cause problems really.
2: Yeah, and now this leads almost uh, to the other question is, then can somebody remove some of the, you know, the higher specifications from an, an existing ready node? Will an AF6, for example, still be an AF6 if they say, well, I want less RAM and fewer storage devices and so forth. Um, at that point, it's it may not, uh, really depending on what changes are made, it may no longer necessarily be Fully considered an AF six, but at that point it may be considered an AF four. At that point, so that's that's really how we sort of view it in terms of what the uh, performance expectations would be, what the uh, capacity expectations would be, and so forth. So, you know, I think really hitting home with our customers though that this is a highly flexible uh, system for them to be able to acquire new servers uh, in a very balanced way that's going to have the right amount of CPU, the right amount of memory, uh, and the right amount of storage devices, but also with this introduction of the AF 0 um, lower that barrier for entry so that they can make sure that uh, they are running vSAN ESA in every situation, whether it's the edge, small data center, large data center, uh, cloud, whatever the case may be. Oh yeah. Well, that kind of begs the question:
1: if 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 ESA covers all scenarios, uh, w- what's the purpose of uh, the original storage architecture then?
2: Yeah. Well, you know the right now the real purpose of the the original storage architecture is to accommodate uh, that older hardware. We have a lot of customers that have invested a lot of resources, time, <laughs> money uh, into these uh these environments that are running the original storage architecture it's very fitting given that the fact that maybe some of their hardware was purchased in uh 2014 uh, 2015 2016 whatever the case may be so that's that's really what the original storage architecture um its intent is right now when you look at some of the new capabilities and the new functionality that is offered within uh the vsan express storage architecture we're only able to do that because of the architecture and so you know it's not something that somebody should say oh well you know they have a new snapshotting feature for example in esa I'll just wait a little while and I'm sure that's going to be uh, backported uh, <laughs> to the original storage architecture. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, it's it's that new architecture that really gave us uh, not only some some of the existing uh, capabilities that many of our customers have heard about recently, but some great new capabilities that are uh, coming down the road talking to talking to
0: customers and talking to salespeople it seemed like it really was networking and cores and basically the minimum size of the esa ready nodes that was the main blocking reason why anyone was still designing osa so i would love to hear from listeners feel free to reach out to us on twitter um if you can now with these new ready nodes can find a reason to greenfield osa i'm really curious i i respect existing customers obviously need to keep buying nodes and things for existing clusters, but very curious to hear, you know, if anyone can find a reason now, cause I've been playing with a sizer. I've been staring at, you know, um, the Dell pricing tools and like, I can't, I can't find a reason anymore to go. <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: well, and, and think about this, you know, and of course, uh, John, you wrote that great, uh, TCO paper that focused on, you know, the comparison costs between the original storage architecture and the express storage architecture. That was, without this idea of this lower barrier of entry right, using right. AF0 Ready no yep. Profile. So when you factor that in, and especially for our smaller customers, that is going to be a tremendous win. Uh, they're going to be able to do more with less using a brand new architecture that has all new capabilities. So it's really vSAN, ESA uh, everywhere. Yeah, I like it.
0: You know, it's, it's also one thing that's interesting talking through this is I remember I was having some conversations with some uh, engineers who I have a lot of respect for. But one I think kind of perspective was when we were initially talking about this is they're like, well, but that won't, you know, that node won't necessarily be able to do 150,000 IOPS, you know, per node. And I had to have a kind of a blunt conversation with them be like, hey guys, you realize that like there's a lot of clusters out there that, that, you know, might not break <laughs> 5,000 IOPS on a date, might not break 2,000, like some of these robo sites. Um, I got a hold of some phone home data and it was frankly it's interesting because on one hand you have these people who are out there running, you know, SCP HANA, full tilt, doing wild NoSQL stuff all day. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of people who they're just looking for cost per gig, frankly. You know, it's it's driving that. They they do want consistent latency, they they don't want to use spinning disks, but there's a lot of um Capacity focus builds, and and one other change that I saw coming down that you know you talked about is these read intensive drives. So what's what's different there?
2: Yeah, so this is some other great news here that you know really thanks to the uh, partners that we work with, and as well as here at VMware, is within the Ready Node uh, program now you can choose vSAN Ready Nodes uh, that are using a what are referred to as a lower endurance read intensive, so to speak. NVMe-based storage device. And what this is going to offer for our customers is uh, a lower cost uh, per gig or per uh, terabyte, however you want to see it, and is really focused in these specific use cases for driving down those those costs. Now, there's an al- also an interesting byproduct of uh, these read-intensive storage devices is that sometimes they are higher capacity as well, um, cheap and so deep. You cheap can, and deep. <laughs> you, yes, exactly. So you can uh, you can have a higher density uh, ESA node using read-intensive uh, storage devices. Now, the one thing we want to keep in mind, though, is is that when we when when we think about endurance of a storage device, that's essentially how long it's going to last uh, for the um, or how many writes that it can on average hit uh, per day uh, for the expected lifetime of the storage device. So there is a trade-off uh, in, those, in those particular cases when we look at you know a storage device that sort of falls under this very general umbrella known as mixed use uh, category that that sort of hits that three drive rights uh, per day, meaning all of the NAND flash cells can be written at least uh, three times per day for the expected lifespan of the storage, which device. is a lot, I mean, if you're, <laughs> yeah. t-
0: if you're turning over all of your data three times, you have some weird batch process that is continuously
2: just going banana, you, you, you should know who you are. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so by way of comparison, that read intensive storage device has a drive rights per day of about one. So you're looking at about one third of the endurance. Uh, but they also those uh, drive manufacturers also do some other tricks to help with um, the longevity of those uh, storage devices, and and so uh, this is something though that w- we are so excited about in being able to offer this across all of the Ready Node profiles, with the exception of the AF eight. Uh, That is the um, one exception because that's a, that's a ready node profile that is really focused on uh, storage performance uh, and, you know, sort of very resource intensive applications. And we want to make sure that the endurance levels are there. Yeah. Nobody using an AF8 profile is going to be looking for, you know,
1: (laughs) these lower end drives anyway. So. Mm -hmm. So what about the list of drives? Is this something that, how do we know? Like if someone knows, oh, okay, I'm interested in this read intensive storage device, is there, how do I know which ones are are applicable?
2: Yeah. So the great news is they can go out to the VCG for VSAN, and they, we already have hundreds of, of ready nodes that are already listed that use this lower endurance read intensive uh, storage device. And so uh, you can step through the process of uh, first selecting your favorite vendor. Uh, server vendor uh, and then looking at which specific server model that you're interested in uh, via the given ready node uh, profile and then you'll see um, their offerings. Whether it is a mixed use uh, storage device or it is a read intensive uh, storage device. Uh, and even though we have hundreds there right now, there are plans uh, to have hundreds more very shortly. So just stay tuned. If you don't see something out there right away, uh, stay tuned. That's going to be changing, you know, actually uh, by the day.
0: I was just going to say, in general, looking at some of the kind of street price differences, this is a, on one hand, this is a 20% shift in cost per gigabyte typically, or a little more actually, I think, than 20%. But the the other side of it also is, is that you can get, you know, I think our max drive size right now is a little under eight terabytes. You can now get to those 15 point something terabyte drives, which for, you know, use cases where you've only got eight drive slots per, you know, per one rack unit and a host, you had people who are really trying to get multi petabyte clusters um this is this is opening up those use cases a lot more um in terms of just density for footprint density per watt of all the associated things dragging on to that um and density per licensing cost so
2: yeah one thing that i w- would like to mention though for these ready notes that have the read intensive storage devices in there uh you won't be able to mix and match meaning that you can't uh, have mixed-use storage devices and read-intensive storage devices within the same host, or even across hosts within the same vSAN cluster. Uh, the reason is, is that we want uh, sort of wear leveling to occur in a consistent way, and it really just follows the general rules about having you know symmetry across your cluster. Uh, and for the same reason that we you know never uh, promoted the idea of having a really fast storage device in one bay and a really slow storage device in another. It, it's really um, falls in that general good uh, principle of having symmetry across a cluster.
1: I like it. I like it. And I know that I'm going to leave some links, but you, in your blog, you shared some uh, some links for where to go for more guidance on this. So uh, be sure to take a look at those. Uh, Pete, I know uh, in a few weeks, we're all going to be at VMware Explorer. Uh, and I'm sure you're going to be uh, spreading some, you know, spreading some more of the uh, vSAN gospel with all
2: kinds of updates. What, what are you going to be doing over there at Explore? I know you've got a few sessions, right? Uh, I do indeed. So uh, John and I have a workshop. This is, I, I think, a 90-minute uh, presentation where we're going to, it's really focused on uh, real life uh, demonstrations. We're going to be uh, jumping in our labs, uh, showing some things that you should do and maybe some things that you shouldn't do. Yeah. Uh, and that's going to be a lot of fun and make sure that, uh, you know, we we uh, give the good guidance that is really uh, needed that sets somebody up for success in their environment. Uh, next up, uh, I have another vSAN uh, Express Storage architecture presentation with uh, Duncan Epping um, that's set for one of the days in the week I'm not uh, quite sure when that is and then I think there's a meet the experts session that goes on at some time throughout the week and so we'll we'll see how the schedule ends up working out if they get registered enough of course there will be repeats so you know for for the audience out there if it's already full just keep registering for it and then they'll open up uh, another session. Hopefully.
1: Yeah, that's usually the way it works. So you just as long as you still register, then you go on a waiting list and then they usually push out, which means you're not leaving early on Thursday. This will probably be a repeat and you'll probably be presenting late Thursday as well. Yeah, yeah, we've all been there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, this is great. I'm looking forward to seeing. Uh, I love the VSan. I think some of. The, I think the VSan content is definitely some of the higher quality content. It's very deeply technical. It's super. The audience is always there, so I think it's going to be some good stuff. Really excited to see you and John breaking things uh, on stage. That'll be great. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Uh, John and I will also be doing a session. We're doing um, a Virtually Speaking Live. That is going to be on Thursday morning. So, uh, with John, you're going to be pretty busy interviewing, breaking things, talking talking VSAN. It,
0: it's all right. Um you know, I'll be kicking off early with working with Pete, obviously, on the great HCI session. Um, and more importantly, I'll get be getting uh Pete's connoisseur coffee advice on which um which coffee strategy for the week. Um for those of you who don't follow Pete on Twitter, please do and look at his profile for his coffee blog, which I don't think he promotes enough.
1: Yeah, that's so. Pete Keeler, by the way. And uh yeah, Pete is and we won't share prices, but boy, does he have a fancy espresso machine in his house. This guy's uh he's a coffee connoisseur for sure.
2: So oh, I like to say it's my fallback uh, career in case this gig doesn't work out. So what's the secret to a good espresso? Uh, really good beans, number one, uh, and hopefully at least a modest espresso machine with a really good grinder.
1: <laughs> nice. Nice. Sweet. So yeah, cat, you know, we've enjoyed many, many coffees in, in many countries and I look forward to doing that with you again at Explore. Pete, thanks for joining us on the podcast.
2: Likewise. And thanks guys. We'll see you in a few weeks.